What's up, everyone? This is Skylar Butts, and welcome to this bonus interview with Olympic fencers Race Imboden and Isora Tibas. This power couple met at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, and while both are from entirely different backgrounds, Race and Isora have come together and have pushed each other to new heights. I want to acknowledge that this interview was recorded over a month ago, deep into quarantine life and before the protests in response to tragedies across the nation. Please don't take our silence as neglect for the situation. These two are incredible athletes, and I hope you enjoy learning about their backgrounds and love for a sport that is often overlooked. Hey guys, so great to have you on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. So th- this will be cool. Like I think it's going to be fun to have you both on and get two different perspectives. You you come from very different places. Obviously, you play the same sport and you've, you've been together for a while. But take me back to how it all began with uh, your love for fencing. Okay. Um, so I'm Isaratius and I started fencing in a small island that's called uh, Guadeloupe. So I was seven years old. It's uh, in the French Caribbean. And it was like uh, not expected for me. I was doing a classic dance before, so nothing to do with that. And uh, my mom thought about the sport for my little brother uh, because he was like agitated and <laughs> not disciplined. And she heard about like this combat sport that was supposed to be like uh, with a lot of values, like it's a, you know, it's discipline. And so I was with them the first time we've been in this, uh, this fencing gym. And I just remember entering in the gym and be like, oh my God, what is that? I've never seen that before. I was not watching the Olympics before. So I didn't know what was this for. And so I was like, I absolutely want to try this. And I tried it. And so far I'm still doing it. I fell in love right away. So that's it. Yeah, my uh, my story is a little different. I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was playing with a toy lightsaber in a park. Someone came with my parents and said, uh, your kid should try fencing. My parents had no idea what it was. They uh, they just said, "Oh man, like what what's fencing?" We we ended up going to a club for about maybe I had maybe one or two lessons, and I fell in love with it. You know, sword fighting for a sport, mm-hmm. and we moved to New York, which happens to be one of the meccas for fencing, and and it kind of took over from there, and just took over all my hobbies and all my time, and mm-hmm. slowly slowly became my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I I noticed Guadalupe has kind of a pretty rich history, and I, and like you said, New York does as well. Of, of fencing like how impactful was that to see a few fencers that came out of there yeah it's it's kind of like uh really weird we have a lot of uh, Guadalupean um fencers in the national team uh i think it all started with the generation of uh, a huge french fencers called laura Frisell. she's from my island and she's uh, like the most she's the french athlete with the most medals at the olympic games and uh, so i think he it just like send a message that yeah, but even if you come from a small island, you can you can do it. You you can do any sport you want, especially fencing, and you can go internationally, travel the world, and just become a huge champion. So in my club, she's from my club, so everyone was like, yeah, I don't care how big is the world, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. That that's very cool. And and race, I'm sure similarly, you arrive in New York and you're around all these really well-known fencers yeah yeah i mean you know it's just like new york is so so dense and there happens to be like a number of fencing clubs in new york and then on top of that like you know new york and california are these big immigration hubs so a lot of european coaches came to new york and california 
to start their fencing clubs. And, you know, I started learning from guys who were originally on the like 2004 fencing team uh, in Athens. And they were coaching me, passing down stuff they had learned from, you know, Soviet coaches or French coaches, different backgrounds. Uh, and then, you know, I just kind of was around talented, good guys. And, and I think the people that you're around, the people that you're competing with, like really affect you. Just like she said, kind of having that, that feeling from Guadalupe, we had that feeling in New York and the clubs, clubs I was in and it pushes you to, to dedicate yourself and, and be, be better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And like part of the reason I, I started my own podcast was kind of to shine a light on some of these other D3 athletes like me that are coming out and, and I, I'd like to build that same community that, that shows you that your dreams are possible. And so it's cool to have you guys on because I think similarly, you're, you're in this more kind of niche sport and you're probably, you, you're recognizable figures. Now you've grown into some sort of a personal brand. How are you giving back to the sport and trying to grow it? Well, we, we just went this last summer to Guadalupe and, and held a fencing camp. It was Isa's idea to hold a fencing camp there. Um, and I participated in it with our team. So we brought our team, which is, uh, you know, an Italian coach, Stefano Cerioni, and our physical trainer, Maurizio Zampa, who are just like renowned, have worked for the Italians, the Russian. They've kind of become this powerhouse fencing duo. And so Isa had the idea to go to Guadalupe to hold a camp. And then, you know, she can explain more about it. And then personally for me, like I do classes in New York. So I just did a Zoom class few days ago for for a club in New York with a bunch of students like 40 you know 40 people they got to just you know take part and and listen to the knowledge and kind of share that wealth of information you know there's very few guys who make it to that level so Mm -hmm. to have that knowledge and to keep it to yourself I think is actually kind of selfish when you can share it with these kids and hopefully they take something from it and it betters them and and they go further than you ever took it Mm -hmm. yeah I think uh, it's been a a while since we're together we're talking a lot about how to give back Actually, he's taught me a, a lot about that. And uh, because in America, fencing is a really expensive sport and it's not uh, accessible to everyone. In my island, we're so used to like uh, not necessarily train with every resources that we can have. We don't have the best trip, the best facilities. We don't have the best things. And um, we wanted also to share that like you don't need to be rich to do this sport. You don't need to have all the last material to be rich, like you just need someone to be around you and like to support you and to tell you that you can do it and to teach you the right things. Yeah, definitely. So um, Ray's created also this platform it's called On Guard. And uh, so it's like kind of to change the system in America that uh, you have to pay for everything to do fencing. And he wanted like to, to uh, allow every, everyone to, uh, to have access to, uh, to the knowledge of fencing. Like we we are talking about that a lot, and especially like right now, uh, we did some live that to share our passion with our community. It's something that they ask for. So, sport has helped a lot of people during this uh, quarantine, and uh, we shared that with them. It's something, yeah. We're doing a lot of stuff when we have time, also because during the season it's really complicated. Sure. <laughs> stop to camps everywhere, but we've done that once in a while, and we try to give back. Yeah, I think the other thing too is is when you speak about Olympic sports, a lot of the times, like funnily enough, like Olympic sports are very dated, the way they run. I mean, coming from your background in sports too, like no matter what you're looking at, whether it's swimming or, or uh, wrestling, you know, judo, karate, like they're very almost like they're primitive. 
Like they're not NBA style. They're not run necessarily the same way. And so just actually the, the mere idea of like bringing fencing online or like getting fencing knowledge into, you know, a guidebook or something like a PDF, like any, and all those things seem trivial to like, when you look at, when you Google basketball, you can learn everything from everybody, you know? So starting that in fencing, starting that heritage, especially I think in Olympic sports, it's, it's changing now as, as everything's modernizing and we have social media, it's like revolutionizing the way, obviously how we promote ourselves, but also how we promote our sport. And part Mm -hmm. of that promotion is giving back, is sharing knowledge. So I think that we'll see a big transition in like the outreach of Olympic sports. I think they're going to go much further than, than they have before in the past. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. I went down the YouTube rabbit hole of fencing the past week and I got to tell you, I fell in love with it. I was getting hyped. It was, it was pretty cool. Like I think there's a problem with a lot of the sports that aren't the big, let's call them three in America that they just don't get the same airtime. Yeah. And so I think it's great what you're doing. You're using your platform to extend a welcoming arm to all the all the potential uh fencers out there yeah yeah and that kind of leads me to ask this question which is fencing it's not really known for its finances right so you have to sure a lot of them aren't going to be professionals a lot of them aren't going to go to the olympics what what is the goal you are promoting to them well, I think that, um, you know, fencing is, is a lucky, a lucky sport in the sense that like we have a very big collegiate program. So obviously being able to fence opens up doors to scholarships, education, connections, just growth in general. Like for me, I always say that I learned more from fencing than I did from school, like traveling, handling myself, experience growing up, all those disciplines that I take from fencing, I think really shaped me into the person I am. So then to give kind of the option for people to partake in a way where, you know, funding necessarily isn't like, it's not pay for knowledge, you know, where it's like, it is, I mean, it's not pay for play essentially, right? Like in fencing, everything is charged. You go into the fencing club, you pay a floor fee. You you take a lesson, you pay a a lesson fee in America, Mm -hmm. in America, sorry. So, so for me to, to bring that to America where there is this idea that like, oh, you know, you can learn how to get on guard. You can learn the basics the same way that you can learn the basics of karate or the basics of, you know, whatever sport and then show up and say, Oh, I want to invest money in this. I, you know, I want to learn more. It's like before you had to buy a really expensive guitar to start playing guitar. And I just want to give people the option to like have a really cheap guitar and try it out before they like throw all their money in and you're going to get more people trying it. And it's going to give people hopefully better opportunity. I know that I didn't have the money to, to, to pay for fencing fully. My coaches really let me kind of skate by because of, you know, just they, they saw talent. And eventually, you know, I ended up at the Olympic Games. And without them, I would have never made it so far. So I feel like I'm trying to trying to earn that back. And then eventually, I want to start some kind of foundation that, that, that funds people as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And Isora, how, how is it different in Europe than America? Well, it's really, really different, actually, um, because we have this, uh, this community, like we have clubs. So you go to a club and you just pay a fee for the girl, which is like nothing to do with America. So it's way more accessible to the kids. Um, I, I feel like when I started traveling a lot, I realized that, that I was lucky, uh, because you can start fencing with nothing. You borrow all the equipment. So for a long time, you don't have to pay anything. Uh, it starts actually when you become, 
better, you have to travel to go to national and international competitions. So at the beginning, when you have to prove yourself, it's your, it's your parents who invest, but then your club supports you. And it's a different mentality because uh, in America, you invest in the sport to have um, opportunities to go to colleges. Uh, and in uh, France, they see that like a, a sport, a passion, uh, and not a job, actually, because it's not a professional uh, uh, sport. So you cannot add something like when I started fencing, I never thought I would make money from this. So the ultimate goal can be like to represent your country and to go to the Olympic Games, but financially you don't have like like the other professional athletes the idea that you're going to win a lot of money. We don't have prize money in uh, international competition except at the World Championship, which is one time a year. Which has only been um, for the last three or four years, the yes. prize money for everyone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we are in this generation of fans that want to change the sport and like, because we want it to be more attractive for the next generations too. Yeah. We want them to be like, okay, I can, I can become a fencer, but I can, it can become my job. So we are like the first generation that's like fencing, uh, professionally, traveling the world, finding the best, uh, coaches, like creating the system. And so to answer your questions, because it was not really clear in France, for example, so you are in a club, then some coach say, oh, you, uh, you're good. You can be a, in a, um, how to say that, like the young, the youth team. I don't yeah. know, like, like how you say in English. So you, you go to a center for only young, um, athletes, but for many sports. So and we're talking age like 16 to 20. Yeah. Six, and then you go to, if you become better, you go to the other national center, which is in Paris and like have Inset. the best facilities called Inset. And you are, you are with all the Olympic athletes, the best in France, the best French athletes. And you, live and you live there for a while. I lived there for five years. Then I like apartment really close to the center. And so you are there with all the best French athletes. And which is amazing. But the only thing is like in France, you don't win money for being a fencer, but you don't spend any money if you are in the four best of your sport. So that's it. And it's kind of amazing, but you have to think of your future. So they tell you all the time to have to study hard, uh, at the same time as sport and then to have, um, a sport, uh, a job to do after your career. Mm -hmm. So this is how it works. And, uh, as we travel, we, we saw that it's really different in the country, in Asian countries, there are more professional in our sport. In Russia, they win a lot of money from being fencers. In Italy, they are supported. Since they are really, really younger by the government. So there are many different ways to get in the sport. And it's not like a professional league, like everyone is equal, everyone has the same chance to access to the high level. So this is where it's not really fair from like from where you, you start fencing. Yeah, that's that seems like a tough situation. But I, I mean I guess just by reading about you guys, you've both done a phenomenal job of kind of I guess diversifying as a company would. Yeah. Is that something that you really try to encourage the young people to think about when they're coming up in the, in the ranks? You know, I think that, um, you know, funnily enough in America, there aren't too many people doing it. Like I've done it. Maybe, maybe a handful. Most of the athletes, um, are either like a, uh, with an affiliation, like the Peter Westbrook foundation, which is for inner city youth in, in New York, which is a fantastic foundation that funds them to fence. It pays their coaches and some of their travel or they're, you know, funded by their parents or they are just the kid of the coach, right? So they're not paying their own coach. They're the son or the daughter of, of the coach. 
So that seems to be the main, like the main ways that people do it, which is unfortunate because it actually like, it's difficult to tell kids, you know, look, I got really lucky. Like I, I was able to land sponsorships and do modeling gigs to like, to, to help fund me to fence full time. And I parlayed those things in, into working with each other. Without that, I wouldn't be able to survive. Like it just wouldn't, it's, it's not feasible, you know? So I like to, I like to show people that it's possible um, that you can do things like use social media and be smart and, and, and hire people and, and work, you know, angles and hustle a little bit and you can make it happen. But there is, a, there is an aspect of luck. I mean, the same thing with sports, right? There's an aspect of luck of, yeah. of just being talented yeah. enough to make it. I so, think we like to be like examples for the young people to tell them that yeah, they can do anything they want. Even if someone say no or someone say like, oh, it's not a usual way, you have to do this. Now, if you really have a dream and if you really want to make it happen, of course, you have to make some sacrifices. Whereas, I mean, I think you know it like every artist, you make some sacrifices, you go away from the family, you travel a lot, you don't spend time with your friends most of the time, and you work really hard. But it's possible if you, um, if you believe in it and if you really work hard. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it is unfortunate that I assume both of you work very hard at what you do, probably training two, three times a day, and you're not compensated from doing that work that maybe some bigger sports are doing. But race, I, th I thought it was interesting that you, you said you were able to combine modeling and fencing together. Do you look at fencing as your career rather than just like a passion and you're able to fund it through modeling? It's funny because I would consider fencing my job. Like it, it would, it, for at least up till now, I have considered it my job. Like it's a thing I do every day. I go to the office, I, I train, I work. It's a thing that I put the most focus on. Right. Modeling has been something that, you know, when I started it, it kind of came around by chance and I took it lightly. It was like a 19 year old kid and I just did a couple things and thought, oh, this is great. And like, you know, it's some money in my pocket. And, and I started to like talk to people who had made, a, had made good money from modeling or were making enough money to convert it into something that's like, oh, monthly payments. And like, you know, you're talking about able to survive and have your own place. And in New York City, like, Moving out of your parents' place is the dream because every you know the rent is so yeah. expensive. So, uh, so yeah. So I just you know I just surrounded myself like I said I just surrounded myself with smart people and I always just kind of looked at it a little bit like a business and just said like you know show up on time you know do the due diligence and and, and meet people and, and shake hands and and involve everything. So like I would do you know a job with Rag and Bone and then I would take the kids fencing you know of the designers or. You know the stylist that was at J Crew. He would he would he would bring his kids, and we would try things. And I was just trying to push those two worlds closer and closer together. And um, yeah, and I, and I was successful at it. And then I think a little later on, as I got older, I just kind of I didn't know where I wanted to be with modeling, and I didn't really like the you know. There's like this this sense of like everything now is for fame. Instagram is for fame, and 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 the thing that I'm good at it is fencing, right? So like the thing that I I do take credit for and, and feel good about is my fencing. So I started to kind of push that aspect more through social media and things and said like, guys, this is what I am first. And suddenly it became, you know, those jobs were like we were doing Banana Republic shoots about fencing. We're doing magazines about fencing and it, and it converts itself into something where like, oh, wow, like I have respect for, for the sport that I do. And I was able to combine those two to those two jobs. So fencing would be the thing I would consider my career. It's the thing that I work at every day. And modeling would be like my my funding, I guess, in, in some in some manner. So I guess 
we're kind of in weird times where fencing has been taken away from you both. How have you been handling this situation? Oh, it's uh, <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I think like everyone, you know, it's an uncertain time. We've heard this a lot. Um, we had a lot of doubts um, concerning the Olympic Games. Now it's postponed, so it's changing a lot. We're still waiting for a lot of uh, answers from the international instances, like about the international federation. Like we don't know uh, when is our next competition, for example. So it's kind of really difficult to train in this position when you don't have like a goal. I'm really like a goal driven, so it's difficult for me to to train and don't know like why I'm training and like for when. You know, usually when you train, you have like this preparation for like to, to be the best in shape at some in some dates. So it's complicated, you know. We were lucky because we are living with our physical coach, so we. We didn't have much choice than staying in shape. Yeah. Um, we, 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 he enjoys we, working out way more than we do. I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like we, we wake up in the morning and he's asking us, like, do you want to walk out? Uh, it's the first question before I do you want a coffee. Yeah. And, uh, so we like, yeah, I don't know, like, how do you feel? So we try to listen a lot to our, ourselves too, because, um, we feel like some things were useless to, to keep the same. Intensity in training was kind of useless too. So we didn't do too much because it's not the same than training for the Olympic Games in three months and training for the Olympic Games in one month. And we, we kept, um, having a session with our sports psychologist. So I think it helped mentally. Um, we had like up and downs, obviously, and she helped us to, uh, to, uh, to bounce in between and to feel better about ourselves, to, to, let go about the things that we cannot control, I would, I would say, and to do something else to help us to go in other manner that, uh, than just training for the Olympic Games. I can imagine you've been very used to a very regimented style of living for at least the last eight years, probably longer than that. So what, what are some of those things that you've been kind of exploring about other sides of yourself during this time? Yeah, uh, you know, for me, it's been a big opportunity to to look outside of the sport. Like, uh, you know, I was a guy who who grew up in New York, so there was a lot of things very very at my fingertips, like music and fashion and and cultures and art. And you know, I dabbled in a lot of those things when I was young. And then as I got older, we moved. You know, I, I moved to LA to train, or outside of LA to train in Orange County, and then to Italy now. So. I've been further away from all those things and been so, so, so focused on training and, you know, I have new coaches and a new relationship and like just moving around that it's been nice for me to step back and reflect on those things that I really like, which is like music and, and arts and, and taking a moment to be creative again. I think, like she said, balance, you know, like there's, there's a moment now where you said we've been just going 100% for, for eight years. Uh, you know, we take that summer off after the Olympic Games and we're back to training and and for us, at least like this time, it's rare that we have time to like cook a meal together and chill and, you know, watch all the shows we want to watch and just, and just actually find enjoyment in the little things and, and reflect on what's important outside of just like gold medal, gold medal, gold medal, gold medal, like constantly on that, like that rush. Yeah. And, and like she said, there's no, you know, we don't have the same payback. Like, like if I win a gold medal at world championships, like you don't read about it in the front page of the paper the next day. So it's really just for us, you know? So our, our world is kind of small and contained. So then to step back and be like, whoa, there's a lot going on. 
there's a lot more to this world than just like chasing these fencing medals and, and, and to understand that like, this is a small part of our life. And yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just like to enjoy the slow down in our life. It was really difficult at the beginning for me. I was trying to be as productive as I could at the beginning. I was like, no, just like take this time for yourself, like to have like self care, other stuff. It's like we take stuff for granted and time, especially which like most of the time in our life we don't have. We connected. It's it, maybe it sounds like simple, but we connected with our family more. We called way more people than we used to do. Um, and we tried to stay uh, busy. We did tie dye shirts. We played board games. Um, we cooked like things like that. It's like under the simple things in life. And on my side, uh, like I think we've been pretty active on social media. Like everyone, it's a place that we can still stay connected to other people. Um, and I've started this project for a woman where I interview in live, like a lot of like, uh, women's athletes and give them a voice because I do believe that still now, um, women are not, um, enough in the media. I'm mm-hmm. not saying like they are not, um, we don't talk about them enough. And like these games are supposed to push like women's sport and we don't have the, this Olympic games. So I don't want it to be for nothing and I want to, to still give them a space to express themselves. So it's something I've, I've been working on. And uh, it gives me a lot of uh, satisfaction, actually. Uh, I have good vision about people, like they love it. So it's uh, it's good. Mm-hmm. I stepped away from tennis for the first time in like my life last year, probably like a month and a half, two months. And I came away with feeling like a very different person. And I think that a lot of athletes are going through that right now. Yeah. You feel yourselves kind of evolving and going to be looking at a very different race in Isora come Olympics 2021. I, I mean, for me, for sure. I think that it's been a long year. Like it's been a long year through qualification. We have another one now, another year to, to battle out and, and try to get better. And I think for me, at least, a, a more balanced approach is something that I've been craving. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think this time came at a very like crucial moment for me, and just like gives me the ability to like exactly what you said you know step back and and take a breather and and not necessarily you know i think as athletes one of the things that i talk about all the time is that we weigh ourselves on our results like you know the last result is the result that that defines you so you win the competition and you're like i'm a winner you know like i'm the best in the world and that's that is what it is and i'll never you know no one can touch me and then you come back and you you lose the next competition you're like damn I'm not like I'm nothing now. You know what I mean? So yeah, to, to not have that back-to-back-to-back-to-back competition where you're always thinking about the next one, the next one has been like kind of a, a weird, like I haven't had that in years. <laughs> you know, like I, I've just been the first time I've stepped back and been like, wow, I can, I can do something else and, and just, you know, and feel good for a, a long period of time, not based on results. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same, Isora? I don't know. I feel like everything impacts and like, of course, we're going to be different person. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's a worldwide, like a crisis. It's like something that no one lived before. Um, so it's really unique. Uh, everyone's going to like learn from it. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I, I feel like for me, it was a time to, uh, really reflect on what I'm doing, the, um, the many of my actions, the responsibility I have towards like, uh, my neighbors and the people I, I cross in the street and like, just like the way I'm living, I'm trying to be a better person in that sense. 
for the earth, like everything that we've seen, that there are less pollutions, there are like, there are like the animals coming to life in cities. It's like really beautiful. It's like bigger than us. And in that sense, then yes, um, sports is, is not, um, the main thing as before, like it was all my life. Um, but then sometimes I'm missing it a lot. And I was so close to just like go to my third Olympic games. <laughs> and it's a big deal, you know? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the other one actually. I'm, I'm, this is why I'm working with my cyclists too, like to take my time and stuff and to be patient. But yeah, I was so excited and I was feeling really good in my, in my sport and fencing. My feelings were really good, like the competition before I just won it. So, I don't know. Well, I, I, I think at least for me, like I, I was kind of in this phase where everything was kind of feeling like a, like a grind. And now that we can't compete, totally. like I, I miss it. And it's, it's, it's a weird feeling, as you said, and just coming away with a greater appreciation for what sports mean to us, I think is as athletes, we, what we really take away from it. Sure. So, well, I'm curious what is like one misconception or one thing you'd like people to know about fencing? The one for me is that it's not like a polite, it's not a polite, like very, very like prissy game, mm -hmm. you know, like if you actually go and watch a fencing match, it's like very quick pace and, and it's combat, it's a combat sport. So we're like in each other's faces, it's high energy, it's, it's, it's aggressive, you know, like there's a very much like, there's a, a very, very underlying sense of aggression when you meet fencers and, and I think that's a, uh, it's what makes it really cool. It's very controlled, you know. It's like very, very precise. The 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 actions and techniques that we're doing are very precise. But I think it's cool when people go to watch fencing for the first time, especially if you look at games like we're yelling all the time. Like it's loud. You know, the matches are fun and exciting. I think that's the main the main one for me. Mm -hmm. Also, I have this question about like, is uh, can women do a combat sport? Can can they do like a fencing because it's sport and it's aggressive and I um have to explain like yeah everyone can do anything <laughs> they want <laughs> uh but it's not because combat sport that you cannot do it and like stuff because like you don't have, like to fight but you can because actually it's like a really intellectual game like it's a lot of strategy it goes fast but you really have to uh to think really fast and it's not just about technique and physicality and I like the complexity of, of the of the sports super hard oh. yeah it's yeah. so hard yeah this one is so hard. the thing also like you said like oh but it's not really physical because it's super short it's two oh, times three three minutes so i'm, I'm just like you should you should try you yeah, yeah. say like everyone every time that someone's tried they're like so sore the next day and like they're out of breath and so funny every yeah. time to prove that it's difficult so yes it's physical because it's like three times three minutes but you're always bent on your legs and you're always you're moving like time. Well, on 40 meters back and forth, so it's like super intense. Yeah, I, I believe it. I, I mean, I told you guys I was watching YouTube videos, like, couldn't get enough yeah. of it. it <laughs> and every every time someone, like, ripped off their, their face mask, they were dripping. Yeah. And I, yes. yeah, yes. I, I can't even imagine. And also, like, the saber or foil or whatever, the, the sword part, <laughs> just butchered yeah. that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, go, it goes, like, fat, almost as fast as a bullet. Like that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, tip of the saber is it's fast. It's the second fastest thing in in sports to a bullet, and it's faster than an arrow. You guys have done this pretty much your whole young life. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. Does the gate does the sport slow down for you? Like the actual speed that we see it at? Yeah. From all the training I, I I'd assume because for me, like my eyes are so untrained I couldn't catch up with everything that was happening. Yeah, I would say it does. To slow down? Yeah, like um, I mean as you get better you uh friends with uh, faster people too. So the sport uh, when you grow up gets faster because you become also faster, better doesn't get faster, but you don't need to see everything actually. And you're looking at everything at the same time. So to, like your brain is working in a way that even yeah. if you look at the target, you're seeing everything that's wrong because you have to check where is the rhythm of your opponent, when, where is your own rhythm because you need distance? to touch. Where like, yeah, your body is in front of your, the bodies of your opponent. So what's the distance? And all of this is moving like super fast. So you're not analyzing like every detail of the whole thing. It's a lot of intuitions and automatisms because you worked out uh, techniques and like, tactics before. And I would say that funny enough, like when I felt the best and like when I'm winning competition and I, I have really good bouts, I do see things uh, in a way slower. Yeah. I do see things like I feel like it's in slow motion. I can see everything, but it's not actually about seeing every details it's like about feeling everything yeah i've started to get to that point almost i think in tennis nice mm-hmm. nice so, sometimes things come a little too fast for me <laughs> yeah i mean i it's like it's like the idea of like returning a serve to me is, is very daunting <laughs> <laughs> well i'm still trying to i'm still trying to wrap my head around like pitchers and baseball yeah, right I, I, I just i don't yeah. get it it, it blows yeah. my mind I'm talking to a baseball player tomorrow who's a pitcher. I'll try to figure that one out. Crazy. Anyway, guys, I'd like to end with two questions. The first one is, if you could turn any unhealthy food into a superfood, what would it be? Oh, any unhealthy food into a superfood. I think I would do cinnamon buns. Cinnamon buns? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, cinnamon buns are so delicious. I'm gonna say Maybe this. I just saw a picture of that. Is that why I said that? <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, it's a podcast in America and like the food that I discovered in America is not into that all smack and cheese. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's, and then we've been to Italy and like, it's like, it's blasphemy in, yeah. in, in Italy, but it's so good and I just like it so much. Shout out to crafts. So yeah, maybe that just for my American. Yeah. <laughs> Every American child just grows up on that stuff. It's so good. <laughs> so good. So many good memories. Um, and my last question for you guys is how do you define success? Mm. Oh, that's an intense question. <laughs> I would say that success is, um, is about um, just with yourself, first of all. And it's about being satisfied and happy about what you achieved and your growth as a person. It's not necessarily like external objects. It can just be like a feeling Living yourself. Nice. Yeah, for me, uh, I would say success is is the ability to to look back on the journey. I would say that uh, the longer, like the longer that path gets, the like the, the the greater success I feel like I've had. I mean, because success is like like I said, it's just like it's accumulation, you know. So for me, you know, whether it's a World Cup win or a amateur title or a junior or like all of those things like they add up over time and some people get a lot and some people get a few and and it's looking back on that journey being like oh wow like i've racked this up to that history mm-hmm. so every time i stop and really really think about it i'm like you know at the places we're at it's incredible and i feel very very lucky and so 
that for me is the success. Awesome. And now's the time to reflect on all that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We have time. Yes, we have time. Awesome. So great talking to you both. Thank you, man. Cool. Thank you for having us. I hope we can connect again and best of luck in preparation for next year and enjoy this time together. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Isora and Race. If you'd like to keep up with these amazing Olympians, you can find Isora on her new Instagram live show called A Saint Chiao. If you're trying to speak French like me, that's how you'll pronounce it. If not, it looks a lot like essential, but more fancy spelling. Each Instagram live will feature a female athlete and the aim is to discuss the achievements and the struggles of being a female athlete in 2020. You can also find Isora on Instagram at Isora Tipis and Race is on Instagram as well at Race underscore Emboden. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and you can find us on social media as well at d 3 Pro. Check the episode notes for links if you're having trouble keeping track of all those Instagram handles. We'll be back tomorrow with our regularly scheduled d 3 Pro content, but it's nice to change things up once in a while. So be sure to check out Race and Isora at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics and thanks for listening.